This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. At 2.46pm on the afternoon of the 11th of March 2011, an enormous six-minute magnitude 9 earthquake occurred about 30 kilometers below the floor of the Pacific Ocean, just east of Sendai in the Tohoku region of Japan. The force unleashed a tsunami few imagined possible. Japan is no stranger to tsunamis and had its defenses, but in most places this tsunami swept right over defensive walls. I arrived a few days later covering an aid team and witnessed the aftermath. The tsunami had killed close to 20,000 people. And there was one difference from other natural disasters we have known in our lifetimes. The Fukushima Daiichi Number 1 nuclear power plant, located close to the coast, south of Sendai. The reactors shut down automatically, but waves damaged backup generators, cooling systems failed, one thing led to another, and there was a massive explosion and radiation blast that contaminated the air, land and water for miles around. Ten years later, there has been some recovery, but the incident showed just what a nuclear disaster does. More than 35,000 people are still in evacuation centers. It is estimated that decommissioning the plant will take 30 to 40 years. To talk about the cost and the lessons on the 10th anniversary of this disaster, we have on the line from Nagasaki, Dr. Tatsujiro Suzuki, specially appointed fellow at the Japan Center for Economic Research and among many other things, a professor at the Research Center for Nuclear Weapons Abolition at Nagasaki University. And joining us from Tokyo is Straits Times Japan correspondent, Walter Sim. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us today. So, Walter, let me start with you. You have been writing about the anniversary of this awful disaster. What is the prevailing view of the Fukushima disaster in Japan? I see opinion polls showing persistent negative views of nuclear power. Can you give us a rundown on the thinking in Japan on the future of energy? Sure. Um, well, I visited Fukushima just last week uh, for my reporting on the anniversary. And as I was speaking to residents there, um, there is a sense that, well, residents can return to some parts. There are it's it, the prevailing sense in Fukushima is that well, reconstruction is still ongoing and that there is still a sense of fear over the potential of nuclear power. Um, radioactive soil decontamination is still ongoing. There are still massive black bags all over Fukushima, especially close to the nuclear plant in the towns of Okuma, Futaba and Tomioka. And, and so there is still a, a sense of pain. There's still a sense of hurt and uh, as, as Fukushima tries to recover from what has been the one of the world's worst nuclear disasters ever. And, and so uh, it's, it's not just in Fukushima, across the country, news reports recount and replay the terrible, terrible incidents of March 11, and that has added to public opposition towards nuclear power. And, um, and, and so I think that is a general push uh, whilst uh, against nuclear power and towards more renewable energy as Japan strives to achieve a net zero carbon emission goal by 2050. Dr. Suzuki, you have written and said that this fundamentally changed your view of nuclear power and you have spoken about the social and ethical aspects. Can you elaborate on this 
on the impact this had on you as a nuclear engineer. And some still claim the fear has been exaggerated. Can you tell us a little about the psychological impact versus the real impact? And you've also called it a human rights issue. So it's not just about technology and science. Right. Uh, we engineers tend to evaluate the risk by uh, probability times consequences, particularly the number of deaths per kilowatt hour. If you measure the risk of nuclear energy by this index, still nuclear power is safe. But I don't think that is only the measure. That is not enough. When I visited Chernobyl and also visited Fukushima, I directly talked with people in Fukushima. My sense is that the impact of nuclear accidents is much, much broader than just number of deaths environmental contamination, the family is broken, you lose your uh, job and family and sometimes all the uh, area that you used to leave. And this is just more than a uh, number of deaths per kilowatt hour. I also uh, uh, believe that uh, this is uh, so social, psychological and economic costs should be considered. And all of them should be incorporated in the risk assessment and even ethical issues. And I think that the, uh, uh, the people from Fukushima can be sometimes uh, discriminated because they, they were contaminated area, come from a contaminated area. This is similar to the Hibakusha, uh, the nuclear victims, the bomb victims were discriminated during the, after the World War II. Yes, very unfortunate. Uh, Walter, we heard from Fukushima Prefecture Governor Uchibori Masao this week that there are bright signs. There has been progress. The air is cleaner now. Atmospheric radiation levels have fallen. Produce is deemed safe. And there is potential for robotics, a sort of renewal in that area. But he also spoke of a darker side. As I said earlier, more than 35,000 people are still in evacuation sites. What is your take? Is the glass half full or half empty? Uh, I, I do think that the glass is half full. So as part of Fukushima's uh, revitalization, it's looking towards renewable energy. And on my trip to Fukushima last week, I saw a lot of solar panels um, as, as Fukushima makes a very concerted push towards green, clean energy that, well, it's not nuclear power. But there are still but it's, there are still a lot of concerns over in Fukushima with regards to the lasting impact of the disaster. For instance, um, Fukushima has over the last 10 years tried to rebuild its reputation given the lingering nuclear concerns as well as lingering fears over the safety of the producer. And it's not just outside of Japan, even within Japan, there are still consumers who are reluctant to consume Japanese um, reluctant to consume Fukushima produce because of some doubt over whether the whether the official data can be trusted. And I think this also stems from the crisis mismanagement at the time of the disaster, which has led to a lot of um, doubt, a lot of concerns over whether the, whether the information that's being fed to the public is true or not. And it's with this backdrop that the government's plan or the government's proposal to release contaminated a well-treated water that uh, to remove all radioactive particles except the isotope um, tritium which is regarded as relatively harmless in the grand scheme of things into the ocean and uh, there is a lot of opposition against this plan especially amongst fisheries association because while even 
if the government data prove, uh, proves that the fish that is still safe to eat even after the water is released into the ocean, there are fears of this harmful reputation that even Fukush uh, that Fukushima Governor Oshibori considers the fourth um, the fourth aspect of the March 11 disaster. Dr. Suzuki, you advocate that the Japanese government should consider fundamental changes in its nuclear energy policies. And yet there is also the challenge of the memory of this disaster fading. But this was a wake up not just for Japan, of course, but for the world, the worst nuclear disaster since Chernobyl. In what direction do you see this going? You have spoken a lot about the recovery of public trust. Do you see any progress on that? Well, right after the Fukushima accident, the, at that time, the Democratic Party of Japan government tried to incorporate public opinions into the decision-making process. That's one of the reasons that uh, the government decided to phase out nuclear power. But after the government changed, the efforts to uh, incorporating public opinion into the uh, decision-making process has been lost, and it has never happened again. And also, uh, transparency is a key word in restoring the public trust. Uh, as Walter said, that uh, releasing uh, so-called treated water to the sea, uh, typically, I mean, technical, technologically speaking, that may be probably the best idea. But unfortunately, transparency is not good enough. So the trust has not been restored. The, the energy policy after the uh, Fukushima accident the new government, uh, the, this government said that uh, we will reduce the dependence on nuclear power as much as possible. But at the same time, they still maintain that the nuclear power is a major power source. And last month, they published a report for carbon neutrality uh, in 2050. They consider nuclear power as a growth sector. So this is the revival of uh, nuclear energy promotion policy, which is probably against the public opinions. So while we have you on Asian Insider, I'm curious as to your views of a related, on a related subject, which is nuclear disarmament. And you've written about this as well and spoken about mm. this as well. And we have seen a lot of, uh, well, over the last couple of years, over the last four years, we saw the sort of detente between US and North Korea, which is in your, in your neighborhood, really. And uh, it didn't get anywhere. And now we have a new administration in Washington and so forth. Tell me, what are your views on, on nuclear disarmament, progress or lack thereof? Well, at present, um, at the, the breadth of the atomic scientists uh, show that the doomsday clock is, is the worst 100 seconds to the, to the midnight. And it means that the risk of nuclear war is probably the highest in the possible world. And because the, uh, the nuclear, uh, large nuclear weapon countries are co coming back to or going back to the Cold War era, which is that the emphasis on nuclear deterrence and also expanding uh, nuclear arsenals, uh, so-called modernization program is, is to upgrade the nuclear weapons capability. And also uh, South Asia, Northeast Asia, and the Middle East, the security environment is getting worse. So in general, uh, the situation in nuclear disarmament is very bad. At the same time, we have seen some positive signs, particularly the uh, 
the Treaty of Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons becomes in effect in this January. This is a big, big step toward the elimination of nuclear weapons. We think this is uh, uh, one step forward to make sure that the nuclear weapon will never be used. Uh, I think the, the moral setting uh, by the law will probably uh, uh, discourage all nuclear weapon countries to nuclear to use nuclear weapons or even the threat to use nuclear weapons. So this is a now combination of, of uh, uh, risk and also positive science in the nuclear disarmament. Very interesting. And uh, back to another another issue which you mentioned uh, just a moment ago, climate change and zero carbon targets and so forth. You have this paradox, as you mentioned, uh, nuclear power is still, nuclear energy is still part of that mix. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think uh, in a global sense, it is difficult to achieve um, the carbon zero uh, by 2050 without nuclear power, probably. But fortunately, that uh, the uh, economics of uh, renewable energy is, has been much, much better now. And it's a huge uh, expansion of renewable energy is, is more than we expected. And also energy efficiency improvement is also more than we expected. So I'm hoping that uh, uh, we could achieve, particularly in Japan, uh, can achieve carbon neutrality uh, with or without nuclear power. One big issue is how to uh, set the carbon price. Uh, that, that is an important policy measure to reduce the greenhouse gases. And it has been discussed uh, for a long time in Japan. Now, it, governments seem to be serious about introducing carbon prices. That will may change the economic structure. Um, to reduce the greenhouse gases. Paul, Walter, I'll get back to you for the last question, really, uh, before we run out of time. Sure. Do you detect a sort of general consensus in Japan, in, the, in government and in policy circles about on this climate change target? Are all the sort of pieces falling into place? Well, yes and no. So I, I think there is a general consensus towards achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Um, that is a clear vision set by Prime Minister Suga. Well, whether or not he was driven by China's target to set such a similar goal is another question. But I, I think given that there is a clear vision from the leadership um, that uh, people are driven uh, it, that there has been consensus, be it in the government circles, be it in the business circles, to push towards a net zero carbon emission. But I, I think the question really is how precisely to get there, given that Prime Minister Sugo himself did not lay out any specific direction on that front. So we, uh, so in this regard, we have, say, the Defence Ministry and the Environment Ministry stating very clearly that they want to push towards 100% renewable energy, but yet, uh, uh, but yet, the Economy, Trade and Industry Ministry, as uh, Dr. Suzuki has said, has actually indicated nuclear as a growth sector in its green growth strategy report a few months ago. So I think the direction that there is consensus in achieving the target, but there isn't consensus in how to get there. Dr. Suzuki, last word from you on uh, back to the, the nuclear yes. power issue. I'm, I'm curious as to the view from Japan of the 
Joe Biden administration in the U.S., one of the first things President Biden did was recommit uh, the U.S. to the, to the Paris Agreement, for example, and climate change, he appointed John Kerry, climate change envoy and so forth. So climate change is supposed to be a central pillar of policy in the current U.S. administration. Is that going to make a difference globally? Oh, yes, uh, definitely, yes. If the United States is serious about climate change, that would be the key. Uh, along with China, those two countries should take a leadership in reducing uh, greenhouse gases. So it makes a big difference if the U.S. administration is serious about carbon issue, um, reduction issues. Yes. Dr. Suzuki, Walter Sim, thank you very much for joining Asian Insider this week. Like the 1986 Chernobyl disaster, the Fukushima nuclear disaster will haunt not just the people directly affected, but policy planners, energy policy planners globally for decades to come. For Asian Insider on the 10th anniversary of the Fukushima nuclear disaster, I'm Nirbal Ghosh. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.